abandoning self-resentment in the face of one's own acknowledged objective wrong. So it's not saying like, I'm letting myself off the hook and being like, oh, no, no, I'm fine. I did everything right. It's like, no, you're both acknowledging I did something wrong while also having compassion, generosity, and love for yourself. Mm -hmm. That right there is kind of the magic combination that means it's not just like, oh, whatever, self-love, I don't care. I have no consequences. And it's also not what a lot of us do, which is just beat ourselves up and feel constant shame. Welcome to the Multi-Amory Podcast. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. We believe in looking to the future of relationships, not maintaining the status quo of the past. So whether you're monogamous, polyamorous, swinging, casually dating, or if you just do relationships differently, we see you and we're here for you. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, you won't like me when I'm angry, or you might be scared of me, or I might not like myself very much, or some combination of those. Today, we're looking at anger. We're looking at both the beneficial aspects of anger, including ways to ensure that you are listening to it in a healthy way, as well as the unhealthy or scary side of anger, which results in rage-filled outbursts and causes damage to ourselves, others, and our relationships. So anger is a huge, huge topic that some researchers and clinical psychologists literally devote their entire professional lives just to studying anger. It's, it's really fascinating, and there's so much that we wish we could cover. So if anything in this episode resonates with you, please take that as a jumping off point to do some of your own research about these concepts or these ideas to find even more resources and support if this is something that uh, you know is really important for you to deal with in your life. Because unfortunately, we can't cram a lifetime worth of professional work into just one episode. Yeah, so anger, it's this tricky emotion. It's this kind of convoluted. It gets messy at times because we as a society kind of get and give so many different messages about it because there's a lot of us out there who are taught that anger just simply isn't acceptable ever. It's not acceptable to feel. It's not acceptable to show. It's just unacceptable. And our TV shows and our movies, uh, we do see sometimes like anger super glorified and it's glorified maybe as vengeance or if we're, you know, hurting the target of this vengeance, then our anger is justified and celebrated. What comes to mind is the Liam Neeson movie. What is it? Taken? Yeah, Taken. Taken. Yeah, of the, course. The series of Liam Neeson movies. And that and like literally every single action, action movie, movie of where... all kind. Yeah, exactly. Totally. Yeah. yeah. We often can see ourselves or others feeling very justifiably angry about something, but then being dismissed, being minimized, sometimes being ignored for showing it. And of course, this shows up along gender lines, along racial lines. You know, typically we are more likely to celebrate white male anger and really shun female anger or non-white anger in particular can bring up more problems for people to experience that emotion depending on what you look like or how people perceive you. And sometimes also anger is portrayed not as a feeling or as an emotion, but as a personality trait. 
mm. of somebody, you know, that we can know that somebody has a short fuse or they have a temper. And sometimes that's even portrayed as a funny aspect of somebody's personality if they're on a hair trigger. Yeah, it's just like it's such a mix of messages that that we get. And when it comes to looking at healthy anger, it's honestly really hard to come up with examples of that from, you know, from media, thinking about, you know, media representations, particularly, it's actually quite difficult to come up with examples of healthy anger. So that's why I do think it is really important to, to look at this and look at what researchers have found about it, what psychologists look at who actually deal with anger specifically as a focus, rather than just kind of the armchair psychology where like in the 70s, the armchair psychology and popular psychology was all about like, don't suppress it, let it all hang out. You got to feel it. You got to let it out because if it bottles up, it'll kill you. And while there's... Like that, that's how like scream therapy became a thing. And Whoa. Exactly. Or like... I've the, never even heard of that. Or like anger rooms where you go in and like smash yeah. stuff. And there's like some research showing these things are actually not helpful for you. They're not healthy. They're not encouraging healthier ways of dealing with your anger. They're just providing either just encouraging bad behavior or just providing you with other escapes from actually dealing with what the anger is trying to tell you and what's going on. Hmm. There was a very early form of marriage therapy. I learned about this from, from doing my Gottman training, but I think in the 50s and 60s, maybe even before that, there was this very early, early version of couples counseling that did literally just involve the couple taking like foam bats other? to each other. Oh, no, foam, foam bats. Foam bats. Oh, wow. Like, wow. And because that because that was the thing, it was just like, oh, you just need to cathart the emotion. Yeah. You just need to get it out, and then it, it'll be okay. Right. I don't know that Gosh. that would be really traumatic for me. I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't like that. <laughs> I couldn't imagine for a second being in a room and like beating you up with a foam bat, Emily. Like, I, <laughs> like, like oh, you would not no. be able to. Like I also can't imagine you like actually returning any foam bat beats or things. I just that's yeah. Wow. I can't imagine you. That I do it to like a stuffed animal, but. Mm-hmm. You know, not, yeah. And I do enjoy sometimes throwing things when I'm angry. I definitely do that. But yeah, I've thrown some pillows recently, but it hasn't helped anything, is the problem. Yeah. Right. So, so what we're going to talk about in this episode, and I do want to clarify what we're focusing on here is we're looking at what healthy anger looks like, like what the properties of healthy anger are as well as within each of those talking about how what are things that we can do to try to embody more of that trait when we're feeling angry. And because this is a relationship podcast, we are focusing on anger mostly in the context of close personal relationships, like romantic partners, maybe close friends, family members you get along with, kind of assuming that there's some mutual goodwill here, or at least that's the foundation that the relationship's based on. Anger shows up differently in in other situations, but this is kind of what we're focused on as a relationship podcast right here. And I also wanted to give a shout out to the writings of Dr. Bernard Golden, PhD. He has written a ton about anger for psychology today for many, many years. And there's just a lot of really good resources about really getting into some of these topics even more. So that's definitely a place to go check out. And his name's easy to remember because you just, you know, it's golden. Dr. Golden. So now we're going to start going through these five qualities of healthy anger. And just first as a quick overview of what these are, and then we'll go into each one in depth. The first 
is that it is experienced, not suppressed. Second is that it's safe to be around and safe for yourself. Third is that it has a message. It's trying to tell us something. It's trying to communicate something to us. Fourth is that we still have empathy for ourselves and for others. And then five is that it results in responsible actions. Great. So let's go to the first one. The first healthy quality of anger. Experienced and not suppressed. So, okay, denial denial of anger, denial of most things. It's kind of just a defense mechanism and it protects us from acknowledging parts of ourselves that are incompatible with our self-identity. So you might be out there thinking like, I'm not an angry person, but there's a pattern that happens when every time something is, you know, really annoying to you or really hard for you that automatically you get into sort of a rage filled terror So, yeah, that's something to maybe take a look at. I think the key there is that in that case, the tendency, if you think, well, I'm not an angry person, something happens where you feel angry. And then instead of acknowledging that and letting yourself feel it, you're saying, well, this doesn't fit with my identity, so I'm going to deny it. So it's and that's not the true. like, no, yeah. no, no, I'm not, I'm not angry. I'm not angry. And instead, you just kind of go longer and longer without your needs being met or without mm-hmm. feeling safe or without getting the support you need or something, right? It's that suppressing. Pushing it down. Pushing it down, ignoring that it's trying to tell you something. Yeah, and that makes sense because I think there's a lot of like shame and fear involved in denial in general, and especially with denial of anger that you may have. Or if you don't believe that you're an angry person, well, I'm just going to continue that narrative within myself and say like, okay, no, this isn't happening. I'm not angry. I'm going to brush it off instead of really like looking at what's going on there. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the urge to do that could come from many different sources. You could have grown up in a family that just didn't express anger, where the culture of your family, that wasn't okay to do. It could be because you grew up seeing anger be punished or you yourself were punished in some way, whether that's a literal punishment or a social punishment or being ostracized or things like that. The media that we consume, what we see from our teachers, our culture, our religion, our social group can also influence the desire to suppress anger rather than feel it. For a lot of people, there is also a sense of fear around our own anger that if I let myself feel it, it's automatically going to be out of control. If I let Mm -hmm. myself feel it, someone's going to get hurt. And so it's safer to just not feel it at all and deny it and push it down. Yeah. And I think that the old way of thinking about anger, like with what we talked about before about the like, just let it all out way of approaching it, is that there was almost this idea that like anger is like a pressure that if you keep suppressing it, you're like containing this gas that's getting more and more pressurized until it eventually breaks through its container and explodes. And that's, I mean, that's not how emotions actually work. Mm. But what's actually going on when you're suppressing that anger is that the anger is coming from something, often from a perceived threat of some sort, right? Whether that's a physical threat or more likely you know, sort of a psychological or emotional threat that by denying that anger and denying that feeling, it can actually lead us into other sort of secondary 
ways of coping with those feelings that are even worse for us. Things like depression and anxiety, or being really passive-aggressive in your behavior, or substance abuse, or often redirecting that anger to someone else. So this comes up in that case of suppressing anger toward one person, like suppressing anger toward a parent, because it's like, well, either I wasn't allowed to, or I think I'm not the kind of person who's just a bratty kid who's angry at their parents. And so you don't acknowledge and actually deal with some of those things that then you might redirect that anger toward whoever, the person in line in front of you at the store, or your partner, or your friends, or something like that. And in certain cases, this thing of feeling like, well, I have to suppress this anger toward someone like my parents, or maybe suppress anger I feel toward my religion that's maybe caused harm to me growing up, or something like that, that in suppressing that, it can actually lead us to kind of idolize or make extra excuses for those people or that institution of like, oh, well, they're amazing. They're, they're right. They're, they're always right. But then that anger can get redirected outward to somewhere else because that feeling's still there. And so you try to find something to blame. And this could be just like authority figures in general, or it could be, it could turn into xenophobia or homophobia or extra radicalized religious beliefs or conspiracy theories or any sort of thing that's giving this like outlet for that feeling that's not appropriate, that's not actually about the thing that's going on. It's kind of this secondary direction of anger, the redirection of anger. So we don't want that when we feel the anger. The first thing is just realizing it's okay to feel, that it is an emotion. And as we're going to get into later, I think people associate, oh, if I feel angry, I'm going to do angry. And that those two things are not exactly the same. All right, let's move on to the next quality of healthy anger, which is that you're safe to be around and you're safe for yourself to be around as well. You're not going to be hurting yourself. You're not going to be hurting others. So some people sort of say that anger is exactly the same thing as rage or that maybe it leads into rage. But anger is a feeling and it isn't necessarily harmful, while rage, which is, I think, one of the things that a lot of people are worried that anger will turn into, rage is that feeling of, like, boiling over, I'm so angry that I'm going to start producing sort of destructive anger and destructive behavior that can grow out of that sort of more controlled, like, hey, I'm having this internal feeling. Yeah, I know for me... Often when I think about anger in my own personal experience, it makes me think a lot about how my own experience of PTSD changed my relationship to anger, both in bad ways initially and then much better ways once I started Mm. going to therapy, essentially. But for me, that really highlighted this difference between feeling anger and feeling just extreme rage. Like for me, like a, a really surprising PTSD response for me was this kind of really surprising rage that sometimes felt like it came out of nowhere, like this very like out of control, I'm going to pop out of my skin level of anger. And before I really started looking at that or like getting any healing around that, that yeah, I, I came to associate like actually feeling any anger at all. First of all, it would turn very quickly into rage. Mm-hmm. And also even low levels of anger, I would be afraid it's going to turn into rage. You know, like it's this sense of any anger at all is not going to be safe. And so I can't really go there. 
But, you know, the reality is, and as we've covered before, you know, feeling, letting yourself feel anger is actually very, very important and can be really safe as well. And it can be safe to be around your anger. Yeah. And this, I think, is especially important if you think about relationships where you're in close proximity to someone. So again, thinking about this Mm -hmm. in like romantic relationships and friends and roommates and things like that is like, if you've ever been stuck in the car with someone when you're having an argument with a partner where it's like, you can't escape, you're literally kind of trapped in a small space. It can really suck. And hopefully that's like, like even if we're not talking about to the point of like truly fearing for your physical safety, there's still an element of fear that that we can feel in that situation where there's a lot of intensity in this closed space or in close proximity to us. So this 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 safety part is really important when it comes to how we can feel our anger and also express our anger in a way that isn't causing harm, right, to to our relationships or to other people. And and as Dedeker said, for a lot of us, we feel like if I get angry then I, I yell, right? It's just like one one to the other, boom, boom, right? There's no in-between steps. There's no middle ground. It's just, if I get angry, it's full-on rage, screaming, yelling, hitting things, throwing things, whatever. I think in one way, it's also challenging to be on the receiving end of anger and then feel like, wait a minute, do am I allowed to feel unsafe in this moment? Like, is that an overreaction of the situation? Sometimes I've been in situations where I felt that as well and questioned my own like emotions regarding being unsafe. Like, am I overreacting here? Mm. So mm. it's interesting on both ends, you know, that safety question. Yeah. Because you want to internally feel safe because of your anger or you want to feel safe because the other person in some way is potentially making you feel unsafe. Right. And so for this, we're kind of talking in the context of the person feeling the anger, trying to feel healthier anger, because that's a perfect example of look at what you're doing to your partner. This person that you say you care about, if you're forcing them into a situation where now they're, one, feeling scared, which that sucks, and then two, having to like question themselves and doubt themselves about whether that's even okay because they're wrestling with, well, I want them to be able to feel anger. And it's mm-hmm. that's why this distinction is really important, right? That feeling your anger and and expressing your anger is different from displaying anger and aggression and rage, and that those two things are not the same. And while you can say, yes, I have a right to feel my feelings, you do, but that doesn't translate into, therefore, it's okay for me to yell or be physically threatening or cause damage or something like that. Mm-hmm. Now- that doesn't always end up so easy. Like we said, it seems like I get angry and then just boom, I'm there. I lose control. I can't, you know, I'm seeing red. We've got so many terms and metaphors for this sort of concept and it's really challenging. And so for this, I wanted us to look at a technique. This one is called the slow motion replay. I think they actually just call it slow motion, but slow motion replay is cooler. And this is from, I don't know how you say this, from the Ananias foundation on and ananias they're uh specifically an anger management and like abuse prevention group that does therapy and counseling and stuff i don't know that i would necessarily recommend them wholeheartedly they're also a very christian religious group and while maybe that can be helpful for some people i i can't give it a blanket endorsement 
because of that, because that can also cause some damage. But anyway, basically it's this, right? If something happens, so there's a stimulus and it makes you angry, it can feel like after the fact, you know, when you're looking back, you're like, gosh, that thing happened and then I just lost it. Mm. So the challenge with the slow motion replay is to do that, is to say, okay, it seemed like it just went stimulus, boom, rage. Can you slow it down and try to remember and look at what are all the little things, even if they just happened in fractions of a second, what were the little things that happened in between there? And more realistically, it happens actually over several seconds. It's not actually in a split second. It just can feel that way in the time when you're upset. But it might look something like this. You might actually realize in doing your slow motion replay, well, okay, there was the stimulus. There was whatever, the thing my partner said or it did or something, that then there's like a tightness in your gut. And then it leads to you saying something sarcastic to them in response. And then you raise your voice, then your heart's pounding, and you're raising your voice more, so you're yelling, and your fists are clenched, and then we're full-on rage. And you see that there were actually little steps in between there that at first you just saw all as one thing. It just went boom, boom. And so the idea is, first, just that, is identifying what are actually the steps for you. And for you, that pattern might be different, but try to look for a pattern of what are the things that happen in my body and my behaviors that lead up to that rage. Yeah. And then with those patterns, it's really important to look at them, try to use them as like kind of signposts and say, okay, these are the warning signs. These continually happen when I'm getting upset, when I'm getting super angry. And then, yeah, that'll give you sort of a warning sign and a place to get to where you're like, okay, I need to take a timeout. So practice, you know, moving the timeout. If you're a lot, we talk about halt all the time on the show, but Mm -hmm. maybe even before you get to sarcasm and raised voice and stuff like that, then perhaps you move that timeout even earlier and earlier. So if the stimulus happens and immediately you feel this tightness in your gut, you're like, know where this is headed perhaps i should just throw that time out in right now give myself like a moment to take a breath and step out of the room and then you know i can come to some sort of rational solution or better communication with my partner or something along those lines yeah i sometimes have a hard time with this i will notice i think over the years i've gotten a lot better at getting that proprioceptive sense of what's going on in my body and knowing when I'm heading in a direction of of more out-of-control anger. However, I tend to be like, okay, yeah, I noticed that thing, but I think I'm okay. Like, I can, you know, I can keep going. It's okay. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I'm trying to internalize the lesson that a halt called maybe earlier than I think I need to is less likely to cause damage to myself and others than a halt calls later than I need mm-hmm. to. Yeah. And so it's probably best to err on the side of pausing earlier than you think that you need to, even if it feels silly, even if it's just like, oh, it's just this little bit of tightness. It's okay. I can still communicate, but maybe try that out. You can experiment with stopping yourself much, much earlier on and giving yourself some time for your nervous system reg- to regulate and then seeing what happens. Yeah. Yeah. And this is something that, 
it's a process, right? So at first it might be, it's not until I start yelling that I go, ooh, I should pause, right? And that's that's where your cue is. And then maybe the next time it's like, okay, I'm going to stop myself right after I notice I say something sarcastic. And you can get to the point where you can do it a little bit earlier and then, you know, move it earlier and earlier, like Dedeker said, to maybe even just right away where it seems almost comically early, but stops you from taking those later steps. Because if you think about it too, a lot of times we're angry, and we're going to get to this more in the second half of the episode, but a lot of times we're angry because we're unhappy about something, right? Because a need's not getting met, or we're feeling a threat, or we're feeling fear, or there's something that we want changed. And reacting angry or doing that timeout later means that then in order to get what we want, we first have to repair the damage that we did by our rage reaction before we can even get to actually trying to get what we want and what the anger was really about. And so the earlier you can stop that, the more the focus of your communication and focus of your actions can be on what's really going on rather than just having to fix all of the problems that you caused by getting to that rage state. So now we're going to go on to talk about how healthy anger is sending us a message. But before we do that, we're going to take a quick break to talk about some sponsors of this show. If you go and support them, it goes directly to help this show and helps keep this content coming to all of y'all out there for free. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. For a long time now, we've been fans of AdamandEve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on adammail.com and evestoys.com, which are their site specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be, you know, an adventurous new toy or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's multi, M-U-L-T-I, at adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast, and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code multi to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I. Now we're moving on to the next quality of healthy anger, which is that anger sends us a message. So the signals that anger is giving us, it could be about something externally happening 
or it could be about something that's going on internally. And first, we're going to talk about the internal signals. So our anger could be connected to a shame trigger. This is something that we talked a lot about if you go back to episodes 281 and 282, where we did a deep dive into shame, that often anger is a response to something shameful. And especially when it comes to internal shaming, you know, we could feel shame about our intelligence, our skills, our behavior, our self-worth in general. And then we're much more likely to react in an angry way to innocuous statements or to criticism, even if it's kind criticism or constructive criticism. And we may be much more likely to lash out in anger as a defense. The anger that's coming up could be sending you some messages that are connected to some kind of past trauma or baggage or abuse, emotional or physical abuse or neglect from your childhood or from a past relationship or whenever. It could also be connected to the social messages that we receive about our gender or our sexuality, our race, religion, socioeconomic status, things like that. And so in any case, it it may be showing us that this is an area that we're sensitive to. And maybe we need to do some personal internal work there, especially if it keeps coming up over and over again, that you see a pattern of this thing is spoken about, or, you know, I hear a maybe innocuous statement about whatever, and it just makes me really pissed, you know, what's going on there. Yeah. And I think what's important to keep in mind with all of this, with that it's sending you a message about something internal, is I think sometimes we can get caught in this narrative of, oh, well, if my anger is based in just something from my past or my own shame, then like it's not real or it's not valid or something Mm -hmm. like that. And the important thing to keep in mind here is that your anger is is very important and it is trying to tell you something and the key is to just spend some time trying to figure out what that message is and then what you can do about it because at least in my experience and i think for most people we don't really enjoy feeling angry that much and so the idea being that by looking for these signals and figuring out what that is we can help actually take actions and we'll talk about that a little bit later too but actually take actions to fix the the problem and address some of those things so that we're not constantly having to feel this way. So then now moving on to external, this could also be showing you a, a very important message about something that is actually going on outside of yourself. And this could be something like a fundamental need not being met. And I guess I guess you could argue that this is kind of also internal at the same time. But say it's coming from some sort of need not being met, like care from your partner or time with a partner or equal amount of participation in the household from your partner or right. Like there's lots of different ways that this could look and these are very real. And I think something that's good to keep in mind here is that these needs not being met by your partner, assuming that they care about you, are almost never going to be intentional. And if they are intentionally keeping things from you or hurting things from you, then really we should be having a different conversation about reevaluating this relationship. But if we're going to base it off of this assumption that you actually do care for and want to do the best for each other, then this is really an important opportunity to realize this is the message. And so that's what I need to communicate because probably my partner doesn't understand this. And so we can you know, collaborate and work together on getting this to be better. 
your anger could also be telling you about a boundary that you haven't really clarified for yourself. And we want to reiterate, we've talked about this on our boundaries episode, but it was a bit ago mm-hmm. I that a boundary is not something that you put on other people, but it's something that you put around yourself and it isn't negotiable. So essentially like a boundary could be, for instance, okay, my my partner is raising their voice and I don't want to be around that. And so I'm going to choose to leave the room if that is happening. Something like that. Right. Something you can kind of enact for yourself. Correct. Yeah. But I think yeah. this is a good example of how maybe your anger in response to that is the clue to you to go, huh, maybe I have a boundary here that I haven't recognized. And so my anger is my body trying to do that boundary for me to be like, we need to get out of here. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And it could also be an indication of a frustration or something that you haven't communicated clearly enough to your partner or that they haven't really understood something along those lines, like even about, you know, okay, my partner is really on my ass about doing the dishes or, you know, cleaning the house, but I have a lot of trauma around that because of stuff that happened in my past. And so maybe I just need to communicate to my partner, hey, it's it's hard to hear in the way that you talk to me about doing these chores and like, can we maybe sit down and have a chore wheel or, or figure out like a nice, you know, seemingly sweet way of talking about this that isn't as triggering to me. Yeah, I, I think that I I think at the risk of oversimplifying this, as far as thinking about signals or messages that anger might be sending to us, that for me, I think about it in three ways that either it's indicating there's a boundary here that maybe I wasn't aware of or that I didn't protect or was unable to protect in some way. And that needs to be restored somehow or there's some kind of trauma, you know, it could be bringing up something from the past, some kind of incompleted response or especially incompleted, like protective responses, depending on what type of trauma it was that's getting activated here. Or I could have some kind of longing, you know, especially when we have complaints or frustrations with partners, often there's some kind of longing underneath it. And so it could be sending a message about the thing that you need, the thing that you're longing for, the thing that maybe you need to ask for or need to find a better way of asking for from your partner. Yeah. So that's, I really like this idea of during that timeout that we talked about in the previous step to, to short circuit getting to that rage reaction, that something you could be doing during that timeout is trying to find this message, is doing that exploring and trying to find out what's, what's underneath this, what's it trying to tell you. All right. Step number four, or pillar number four, part number four of healthy (laughs) anger is that it contains empathy for yourself and others, or put another way, has compassion for yourself and for others. So first, we're going to look at directing that at yourself. And I know for me, at least with anger, this one's the one I think I struggle with the most, is having this compassion for myself. As we talked about before, Anger often feeds off of this self-directed guilt or shame or embarrassment, and it can be really hard to have compassion for ourselves. You know, a lot of times if I feel like I screwed something up, I feel that guilt and that shame, I get angry at myself, and then kind of as a defense, then I need to find somewhere else to direct my anger at, like the company that made my computer or 
you know, like something, something else, right? It's like we, and we do this a lot. We see this happen a lot of just this, like, I've got to find someone to be angry at because I can't handle how guilty and how shameful and embarrassed I feel personally. As we talked about in our shame episode, again, episodes 281 and 282, that guilt and shame evolved in humans for good reasons, but they can very easily get out of hand and turn toxic and destructive. And this is an example of how that can happen. Yeah, and really the antidote is self-forgiveness and self-compassion. I do agree with you that often if we get angry at someone else, immediately afterwards, that anger is directed inward. And you're like, fuck, I, I screwed up here. Jeez, I was such a dick or whatever. Like, mm. you know, it, it can have a cycle. Yeah, absolutely. So there is this idea that you have to have empathy for yourself, that things happen and anger occurs. And sometimes you're also going to be, you know, saying the wrong thing. And that's OK. And try to have some self-forgiveness with that. Robert Enright, a researcher on self-forgiveness, defines it as a willingness to abandon self-resentment in the face of one's own acknowledged objective wrong while fostering compassion, generosity, and love towards oneself. That's really nice. I think the, the thing that's so fundamental there in that definition that I really love is that it's abandoning self-resentment in the face of one's own ab- acknowledged objective wrong. So it's not saying like, like you know I'm wrong. letting myself off the hook and being like, oh, no, no, I'm fine. I, I did everything right. It's like, no, you're both acknowledging I did something wrong while also having compassion, generosity, and love for yourself. Mm-hmm. And that right there is kind of the magic combination that means it's not just like, oh, whatever, self-love, I don't care. I have no consequences. And it's also not what a lot of us do, which is just beat ourselves up and feel constant shame. Yeah. So we have some questions to ask yourself specifically as part of a self-forgiveness exercise. And this also comes from Dr. Bernard Bernard Golden, who has done a lot of the research and writing about anger that we're referencing in this episode. So, you know, when it comes to kind of self-directed anger, you can ask yourself, okay, realistically, is there anything that I could do to rectify the past? And of course, be careful of, you know, judging yourself with hindsight about the insights that you lacked back then. It's It can be really hard to put yourself back into a situation before you knew the things that you know now. Mm. You can also ask yourself, what can I do differently if I face a similar situation in the future? You can identify essentially like a, almost like a mission statement, listing out your values and the morals that are meaningful to you that help you guide your life. Um, If you go back and listen to our episode 316, specifically all about figuring out your values and finding ways to kind of tie difficult experiences or stressful experiences to your values, that that can be really, really effective and really good for your mental health. And you can also describe to yourself, how is your life going to improve if you embrace self-forgiveness? I really like that one. You know, this idea of if you could just flip a switch and have forgiven yourself, what would be different? What would Mm. feel different? How would you move through the world differently? Yeah, that's really lovely. Wow. Yeah. Indeed. All right. So let's direct some of that compassion now towards others, towards maybe your partner, Mm -hmm. the one who maybe pissed you off in the first place. And yeah, kind of sit with yourself when you have these anger, these angry moments, because it's interesting. I think we get we get angry and then sometimes have a tendency to hold on to that anger 
instead of having compassion and sort of letting it go. Uh, because we may have some unreasonable expectations of our partners. There's, you know, that idea out there that if you really love someone, you know exactly what your partner wants and thinks and feels at all times. And that just simply isn't the case. And Mm -hmm. I wish it were. I would love to be, you know, completely perfect and know exactly what my partner needs or wants. But in reality, like, that's just not going to be the case. And so have some compassion for your partner and for yourself in that moment. And we may be immaturely seeking unconditional love from our romantic partners. We may think like, hey, our my our partner needs to love us regardless of what we do or how we act or, you know, the way that we're being in these moments. And yeah, I mean, our parents did that for us. There's unconditional love there with our parents, but it's not necessarily a healthy or a reasonable thing to expect, even and especially, I think, in the face of doing things that are destructive for the relationship. Yeah, it's again one of those sort of movie tropes that really reinforces this actually very immature idea of what love means. Another one is just to go back to the first part about having self-compassion is that having more self-compassion and self-forgiveness also makes it easier to offer that to other people. And that if you're holding on to that for yourself or you find it really hard to forgive other people, it's very likely that there's something you're not giving yourself compassion for. As Emily said, your partner can't read your mind. So also keep that in mind that part of this is also learning to better communicate with your partner rather than just being mad when they don't know what you want. And then Also, ultimately realizing that your partner is their own person and that they might not always make decisions that you like or that are the same ones that you would make. And especially if this is a recurring anger or frustration or argument that comes up, there could come a point where you have to realize either I need to accept that they're different from me and make different decisions and have different values from me and be okay with that, or that I'm not okay with that and I need to get out of this relationship. But I think we're also kind of falsely given this idea that, oh, well, if you just try hard enough or just stick it out, they'll change and they'll get better in this way that you want them to. And and they just might not, right? And that's not even, I don't even want to say like better, but just they might not be the same as you and have the same values. And while that's okay, it doesn't necessarily mean that you need to stay in that relationship. So that is a very important evaluation that you're going to need to make for yourself during this, having empathy, but also realizing also maybe this just isn't compatible. All right. So now we're going into the final pillar of our healthy qualities of anger. And this sort of is the last step in everything, which is that it results in responsible actions. So, You do all the things that we talked about before. You take the necessary time to decrease your anger arousal. Maybe take some time for self-compassion, for forgiveness, uh, introspection on the messages that your anger might be telling you. And then finally, you're going to act. You're you're going to get on stage and act. No, you're going (laughs) to you're going to you know have some responsible actions here. So if you discovered something about yourself, then let your partner know. And ask for support if that's an appropriate thing to do. And maybe go and seek some counseling or support outside of your partner. That's really ideal because truly your partner can't be like the person that you sleep with and the person 
that you live with and the person that is also your therapist, et cetera, et cetera. Like, that's not particularly healthy. We've talked about that a lot on this show. Specifically, try to find someone that will help you process the messages that are occurring because of that anger, the messages that you're receiving. Like, hey, I've done a lot of introspection here and I'm finding like I have a lot of trauma around this. So go find a person to help you process that. And yeah, not not just someone out there like a friend that's going to like help fuel that anger or maybe someone that's going to like get pissed off with you. We do have those friends that are like, yeah. This person sucks. Uh Let's continue this angry cycle. Yeah, maybe maybe don't do that. If you've discovered a boundary that you didn't know about, or maybe a boundary that you realize that you haven't been the best at enforcing, you can spend some time thinking about and making a plan about how you will enforce that boundary for yourself. So it could look like, I think our classic examples that we give, it could look like removing yourself from certain situations or conversations or relationships. It doesn't even have to go that far. You know, for you, the way you enforce a boundary could just be when this happens, I will speak up about it. When this happens, I will say no, or I will make a choice to protect myself or protect my body or protect my energy in some way. Like that's also perfectly wonderful ways of enforcing boundaries. If you've discovered from your anger that you haven't been clearly expressing something, you could do your best to be as clear as possible and don't be afraid to assert yourself when going after what it is that you need or making requests for what it is that you need. Of course, we want to remind you to stay compassionate and collaborative in the way that you share with a partner. You know, of course, you're going to want to use your best communication skills to increase the likelihood that your partner is going to be able to hold that and hear that and listen to you as well. And we do recommend keeping it short and specific to the best of your ability. That sometimes... If you're a little bit of a spewer, let's say, or a little bit of a rambler, it can often, sometimes it can stoke the anger back up again. Like I've definitely noticed that sometimes we can get ourselves angry again going through something or, you know, so just kind of be aware of that when you're communicating. And then as you're communicating and having this conversation, again, realize that at the end of the day, your partner may not agree. And this may end up as something that you can eventually come to an understanding about, or you may have found a deal breaker. And that's either of those outcomes is better than continuing to suffer and not get to that conclusion. Also, acknowledge that you may have done some damage during either your angry outburst, if it got to that point, or during previous ones, that maybe you need to do some repair for those things, or perhaps keep that in mind as you're having this conversation with your partner at another time of acknowledging that maybe there's some stuff I need to repair here too, so that my partner can better hear the message I've realized is going on underneath this. But but kind of realizing that it's not just like, oh, well, because I realized this, now I'm off the hook. It's like, well, just acknowledge that we're all humans here and that even if we didn't intend to cause harm, we still can sometimes and we need to be responsible for that. All right, so one of our favorite multi-emory aphorisms is it's okay to break up. It truly is, or de-escalate, or just change your situation in some form or fashion. Uh, Relationships do really take work, but a relationship that's dominated by conflict and anger is not serving either of you in its current form, so do something about it. Yeah, sometimes the first step is just internal, like, hey, I need to be looking at what the heck is causing me to fly off the handle on a regular basis, but... 
yeah, the two of you, it might it might be important to look, take a look at the relationship together and see if it's serving you or not. Yeah, there's sometimes, I think because of pop psychology around anger, what I've seen is kind of these two trends of sometimes people can think, I need to do anger management when really what's going on is there's some unresolved trauma healing that needs to happen. Or people can think, oh, I need to do anger management when what's really going on is there being an abusive POS. And so... That's all. Like sometimes people can kind of confuse, oh, it's the anger that's the problem when maybe there's actually some deeper things going on underneath. So just be aware of that. But to recap, the five qualities of healthy anger. One, that you can experience it without suppressing it. Two, it's safe to be around and safe for yourself as well. Three, it's giving you a message. Four, you're still able to access empathy for yourself and for others. And five, it results in responsible actions. And for our bonus today, we're going to be talking a little bit more specifically about holding on to anger longer, holding grudges, and some of the some of the research on that, as well as talking a little bit about what to do in those situations. We would also love to hear from all of you on our Instagram story, we have a question, which is, what is the healthiest display of anger you've experienced? I love this question because it kind of turns this whole topic on its head from how people normally think about anger. It's like, oh, what's something you're angry about? What's a time someone was angry with you? It's like, no, no, no. Can you think of examples of healthy anger that you've experienced, especially if it's been directed at you? And what made that different from unhealthy anger? The best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is on this episode's discussion thread in our private Facebook group or Discord chat. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Multiamory is created and produced by Dedeker Winston, Emily Matlack, and me, Jace Lindgren. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanera. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our production assistants are Rachel Shenork and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.